of an in-house thing today. So if you're a guest today, it's actually a good time to be here because you're going to hear everything you need to know pretty much in a nutshell about Desperation Church and, and where we're headed in the future. So it's a calculated risk, I guess, on our part because you might just say, you know what, that was weird enough. And then it got weirder. And so, you know, but um, be that as it is, I feel like that this is an important thing for us to talk about. It's something that at least behind the scenes has sort of been brewing for a little bit. And I, it, now it's time to unleash it. It's on today. So uh, here we go. So growing up, I did not camp much with my family. In fact, I would say we didn't camp at all with my family. Uh, there were eight kids. So even just going to a restaurant was a risk monetarily and physically. So it didn't happen much. Occasionally, we would hit the pizza shop up in Platte Woods when that was the closest one. Uh, but most of the time... We didn't do that. We weren't really big vacation people, and it was mostly just out of cost. Parents with many children, are you feeling me today? Yes, right. So when I was around 10 years old, a friend invited me to a camp out. And he's like, yeah, there's this thing at church that we have, and it's kind of like Boy Scouts but with Jesus. And you should totally come to it because it's really fun and it's awesome. And uh, they do these camp outs, and all of these kids from all over the region come to this thing, and it's a blast, and you, you, just, you just have to come. You have to be there. And so I'd never been camping. I didn't really know what that was all about, uh, but it sounded fun. And he talked about these beads that you would get for winning games. And, of course, I'm a completist, so I'm like, I don't care what happens. I want to go get all the beads. Like, I'm just about the beads, so let's do this. So we went with this huge group of kids from our church, uh, some parents and things that were there too. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And it was the kind of childhood experience that had, like, all of these sensory aspects to it that uh, I can recall. Like, in my mind, I think about the, the things that I experienced that way. And it's actually part of the wonderful way that I think God designed us, where, like, just a song will bring back a memory. Sometimes that's not a good thing. But most of the time, it's a really good thing. Or something uh, smells a certain way, and you're like, oh, man, I remember when, you know, like, I was in the back of the car with my parents, and we were, like, it's really cool the way that our memory works. And so I remember waking up hot and sweaty in that tent with a bunch of other stinky boys. But yet I could smell breakfast out on the campfire at the same time. I remember... uh, being teamed up, well, not teamed up, actually, I was pitted against this other child that I didn't know from somewhere else in the state of Missouri. And we were released into this farm paddock to catch this greased piglet. And I never even touched a greased piglet before. We had to turn him over on his back and pet his belly for a bead. And of course, I won. City kids showing him how it was done, right? Um, I remember there was this 50-gallon drum And it had these four ropes tied to the sides of it. And all the kids are the ones that were daring enough. I was not one of them. I'm just going to be honest. These huge grown men on the different ropes. And they would put a kid on that thing. And they would just start yanking and yanking and yanking. And the kid would try to hang on for dear life. And I really think that there was this competition going among all of the, the men to see how far they could fling the children. I think that was the purpose. I don't think it had anything to do with winning a bead for staying on there, right? And so, <laughs> like these guys, like just yanking on this thing, right? Get, ah! Like, okay, you're going to go ahead and get the bead, even though we have to take you to the hospital now. So all of that was good fun. 
And there were lots of other parts of that that were really cool too. But more than anything, I remember this one moment where we were all sitting around this campfire, actually two of the biggest campfires that I'd ever seen. And I had seen campfires before, but these were huge, like these bonfires. They looked like they are made out of railroad ties. And all these kids, just tons and tons of kids sitting around them as this person that I didn't know started talking about Jesus and how I needed to know Jesus and how he needed to know me and that he actually did know me. And it was the first time in my life that I understood in this moment how much I needed him. At this young age, I mean, just as a kid, but I just remember this specific feeling that he had plans for me and that he had a journey for my life and that if I would say yes to him in this moment, that we could get on the same page and that that could happen. And so, weirdly, this marks my four-year anniversary as the senior pastor of Desperation Church this weekend. Right? Thank you. But here's the deal. There's no way in the world that I could have predicted that this would have been the result of that. Like that moment. There's no way that a friend that cared enough to invite me to come to a camp out, or even a friend that cared enough to say, hey, if you want to go up front and accept Jesus, I'll go with you. There's no way that I could have known in that moment that this is the result of it. I couldn't have predicted that. And because of these things, I couldn't have predicted that I would be standing here in front of all of you today. But I look around this room, and I know many of your stories, and I know that your stories are similar. I know that the result of you knowing Jesus has to do with a parent or a friend or a VBS that you went to. Or your mail carrier saying, hey, you need to come check out this church. It's full of weird people just like you. But that was, it was a relationship with someone that was the Rubicon or the step over the line into discipleship that you took, that I took. Crossing the line began our walk of faith. And that's actually what I want to talk about today since we're going to talk about vision. The things that cause us, the things that are the catalysts in our growth in faith. And so as disciples of Yeshua, which is just the Hebrew name for Jesus, our goal should always be to be growing in our faith. And so every day we should be trying to take a step closer to him, a step closer to being more like him. And it's all about discipleship. And here's why, because the church is not a place, guys. The church is people. I think we get that confused. I'm going to church. Well, Yeah, kind of, but you're actually going to be with people. You're going to community. You're going to be where other people are. Because no matter where Jesus and his friends and his followers met, whether it was in synagogues or whether it was in homes or in the streets or out in a field or sometimes uh, in a boat off just offshore, wherever that happened to be, it was a community of people following Jesus together. And so as a church, our responsibility... I believe, is to provide a community that makes space for people on all points of that journey. Because that's what Jesus did. Remember, he had people that were veterans of the faith, and he had people that didn't know anything about the faith. And the same is true here, at least it should be, that we would have people that have not yet begun their journey with Jesus that are a part of this community. And we should have people that maybe are a little bit along the way on their journey with Jesus that are a part of this community. And we should have veterans, people that have been there, done that but they want to go back again and do it again. 
people that are a long way down the road of discipleship. We need all of those flavors of people within our community, I believe, to be a healthy community. And so the idea is that we all, no matter who we are on that journey, whatever part you're on the beginning or you're closer maybe, I don't want to say to the end, but you're a ways down the road. Right? That all those still, every day is a step, right? Every day is a step closer to being like Jesus. And so we are to be a community that makes disciples too, right? We're supposed to be creating them. They're supposed to be being birthed out of what happens here and then providing opportunities for a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so most of you guys, if you've been around here for any time at all, you're familiar with the scripture, Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, where Jesus gives us the foundation for that calling. And it's his mission, but he says, listen, it's not just my mission. This is all of our mission. And it goes something like this. There we go. Everything we do should advance our mission, which is love God, love one another together. And it all begins and it all ends with love. We talk about love a lot here. I mean, that is our mission statement right there. It's like it is. We say it twice because it's so nice, right? It's like all the love we can fit into that. There it is. Um, When Paul wrote about love. He, at his time, was one of the most intelligent men, really, on the planet. Um, He had studied with the most uh, scholarly Jewish sages. He was trained by the best of the best of the best. But Paul also had a great deal of knowledge about the customs of the Roman Empire. And so he had this sort of vision where he could see both sides of all of that stuff. He was super smart, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And here's what he wrote about love. He started off by saying, he's like, listen... Every wild, crazy, powerful thing that you can imagine about God. Every uh, depth of mystery that cannot be explained. To the very deepest depths of the esoteric knowledge of the universe that no one even knows yet. Every spiritual mystery of the universe is nothing without love as its foundation. We're talking about the smartest guy probably on the planet at the time. He's saying, listen, no matter what I know, no matter what you know, if love's not the center of that, it doesn't matter. And then he goes on to tell us what love should look like in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. And so here's why I'm bringing this up. Because if we have all this love sandwiched in our mission statement, I think we need to know what that love should look like. I mean, as Tina Turner said herself, What's love got to do? Got to do with it. Right? I don't have the shoes for that dance right now. We got to love God with everything that we have. That's how it starts, right? So like every fiber, if we want to go totally scientific, like every molecule of my being, who I am. I'm supposed to love God with that. Whatever that looks like, a life, here's what I think it looks like. It's a life completely surrendered to him. Where he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I was like, all right, I'll do that. Hey, this is what I want you to do. Well, uh, God, are you sure that's what you want me to do? Yeah, that's what I want you to do. Okay, I'll do that. And then if you maybe don't feel like you've heard from God a while, well, I'm just going to keep doing whatever you told me to do last until you tell me something different or you tell me to do whatever this is harder, right? Because sometimes that's what it is. But then he also goes on to say that we're supposed to love our neighbor. And just in case you're confused on who your neighbor might be, well, Jesus basically cleared all of that up. And he said, it's everybody. 
It's pretty much everybody, you know, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, right? Who, who came to Mr. Rogers' door? Everybody came to Mr. Rogers' door. The same thing's true with Jesus. Every human being that's created in the image of God is your neighbor. So no matter who you see on the streets, no matter what they look like, no matter what they're going through, no matter whether you agree or disagree, that's your neighbor. That's my neighbor. And that we're supposed to love them as ourselves, which really means putting their needs above our own. Ouch. But here's the thing that I want to point out about this, that sometimes what we miss here is that Jesus gives us these two things together. Like he says, here's this, but also this. Like you're supposed to love God, but you're also, you also need to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say that, listen, all of God's Torah hangs on these two things. And, and his Torah is simply God's instruction, the target for us to aim for, right? It's like this is the standard And we aim for that standard. And so Jesus is telling us, listen, truly loving God and loving the people that he created go hand in hand. You cannot do one without the other or vice versa. And we've all met that person, right? The person that loves God with everything they have, but they're not so cool with people. Or the person that loves people with everything they have, but they're not so cool with God. And he's saying, listen, it's not an either or, it's a both. We are are supposed to do both of those. So here's the deal. If you're like me right now, you read this and you're like, I suck. <laughs> like, I am so not this. Like, I'm really lame. And for you older folks, that means I'm really bad at it, just so you know. But I look at that and it's like, man, that's convicting. It is, right? And you're probably saying the same thing to yourself. But before you go beating yourself up about that, the places where you failed and you've blown it with this, you have to remember that every day is a new day and God's mercies are new every morning, Right? And so every day is a new shot at how uh, we have this opportunity and how we can respond and treat others. Because really, that's what that love's about, right? It's our response. It's how we choose to respond to others. And so today, right now, like this very moment, you can say, you know what? I'm going to decide that I'm going to love God with every molecule of me. And I'm going to love other people also with every molecule of me. And I'm going to start right now, and that's what I'm going to do. We can make that decision right now, and I think we should. But listen. The impossible, this is impossible without supernatural help. And God knows that. He doesn't expect us to do all of this on our own. He certainly expects us to make a mind to and to commit to it and to do our very best with it. But at the end of the day, this is a hard thing. This is like someplace in us that needs to change. It, it, it's something that has to be reshaped and that can only be done by his power and the power of his spirit. We can't do that on our own. We can't change hearts, even our own hearts. I mean, we've all tried to change our heart about something, right? Decisions that we make, things that we do that maybe we don't want to do. We try to change our own hearts, but the truth of the matter is, it has to be God. But here's the deal. I love Scripture, and I love what God says because he's not ambiguous. He doesn't hand things to us and say, listen, figure it out. Like, if he commands us to do something, he's going to make it possible for us to do it. He's going to help us. He's not just going to say, hey... Figure this stuff out, and when you've solved the mysteries of the universe, I'll let you know how you're doing. No. He's like, listen, these are my expectations. This is the target to aim for, and you can do this. With my help, with my power, you can do this. Discipleship is a lifetime of following our faith, guys, and growing along the way. And we've been talking about this. And so the question we've been asking are, what are the catalysts for growth in our faith? And when I say we, I mean internally. So here's a question for you to consider, and I I want you to think about this for just a minute. Like in the moments of your life where your faith took a step forward, whatever that was, think about the situation. 
just for a second. What caused that to happen? Like, think specifically to situations like uh, I shared my camp story with you. A friend invited me to camp. That was definitely a step forward in my faith. How did you grow in your relationship with God? What are the defining moments or the catalysts for growth in that connection with God? Within our leadership community here at Desperation Church, we've been talking about this, and we've always been considering, and I mean always, as in I've been here for 20 years in various roles, and we've been talking about this for 20 years. It's like, how do we disciple people? Like, really disciple them. Like, how does God want us to do this? And we've wrestled with this over and over again in creating the best opportunities for people to grow in their faith. But not just to grow in your faith for the sake of growing in your faith, but also to guide others in that growth too. Because that's part of the deal, right? We become disciples, but we also bring others along with us. We disciple other people. And so we've been talking about this. And so February of this year brought an interesting, I would say, convergence of events. And it was totally God. He did it. But we had this sort of last-minute opportunity to attend a conference that was put on by Andy Stanley. And that was, it was fantastic. It was really good. It was dynamic. There were lots of great things about that that uh, helped. But then we also had in February an elder retreat. And we schedule those every year. And it's just a time for us to get away and to talk about kind of the state of affairs here at D.C., but also to talk about vision, mission. What are we going to do in the future? What's that going to look like? And, of course, we pray a lot. We pray for you guys, and we pray for what God wants to do here. We pray for the people that aren't even here yet. Like, that's what this whole thing is about. And so, as a part of that, it all came together, and we asked ourselves some tough questions about how we're doing and what we should be doing. And really just kind of said to God, listen, anything that you want us to do, Drop it in our lap. Anything that you do not want us to do, take that out of our hands. We want to be doing what you want us to do. And so what we came upon are basically five catalysts for growth in our faith. So the little thing that I asked you to think about earlier, the situation or the moment in your life where maybe your, your faith has taken a step forward, what we and others have discovered is that there are basically five categories that those moments fit into. Either a moment of practical teaching where you heard something and you applied it to your life, uh, private disciplines such as prayer, uh, fasting, uh, reading the word, those kinds of things, providential relationships, and these all start with P's because another pastor wrote them, so that's just alliteration to help you remember them. Providential relationships, right? So the relationships that caused that growth in faith for you. Pivotal circumstances or moments in life, and then personal ministry, uh, being involved in ministry in some way. And so what we talked about in in our retreat is like, listen, if these are the five ways that it all happens, like if you can shoehorn whatever, like, well, I met somebody or, you know, this person said this to me or I went through this crisis or I heard this sermon, like all of the stories start in these ways. And so what we said is like, listen, if it's these five things, why don't we just focus on these five things? Why don't we create a community with more opportunities for these five things. And so I want to talk about each of these very quickly, and then I have some exciting news for you guys. But uh, the first thing is practical teaching. And Jesus, guys, is the ultimate example of this. Jesus knew all of the scriptures. He was the scripture king. He knew all of the supporting materials. He knew all of the oral tradition. And listen, I know that You know, obviously he was God's son and all that stuff. But I also want to point out that Jesus had to work to memorize all that stuff. 
Because I think sometimes we think, well, he was divine, so he probably, oh, there it is. Oh, cool. Listen, he, he was human too, right? Remember, he laid aside his godness, so to speak. Jesus had to memorize and learn all that stuff, just like we do. He did not have an unfair advantage. Not the point, just wanted to say that. So he knew all the stuff. But when we look at the words that he spoke and the things that he said, it wasn't like all of this theology. It wasn't like, I mean, he definitely gave theology, but it wasn't like all of this stuff like that. He had good thoughts, but Jesus was practical, man. He was speaking right to the lives of the people that he was talking to. He aimed for application, and here's why. Because his goal was to transform people, not inform people. We can sit under information all the time. In fact, we are overloaded with information in our world. But how much of that information really transforms us? Jesus was looking for transformation. So just in a nutshell, think about the Sermon on the Mount. We'll just look at it real quick. So he begins it by sharing. And by the way, we're, we're going to be in this really soon in our weekly thing that we're doing. Just a little commercial. He begins by sharing the eight secrets of genuine happiness. That's what he does. Then he talks about the best way to live, controlling anger, restoring relationships. And then he addresses the issues of adultery and of um, divorce. Pretty practical, right? I mean, not a whole lot's changed. You know, those are practical things. The next he shares about the importance of keeping promises and how we should not, how we should return good for evil. That's what he goes into next. We need to live differently than the rest of the world. Then he moves into these other practical issues like how to give with the right attitude, how to pray. And then he gives a direct example of pray like this. That's actually what he says. I'm not, he doesn't just tell us to pray. He's like, oh, and by the way, here's how you should do it. Or here's a way to do it, right? Then next he goes on and he starts speaking to people who are basically consumed. Like they had this daily uh, trial of... Where's the next meal coming from? A lot of the people that he spoke to were living, I mean, less than check to check. They were looking for the next meal, right? He would go to the poor. He would speak to all these people. And so people who are worried about provision, the next thing he talks about is how to store up lasting treasure and how to overcome worry. Very practical, right? And then he wraps up his message by telling us not to judge others, encouraging persistence when God, when we're asking God to meet our needs, and then warning us about false teachers. And then he concludes the whole thing with a simple story that emphasizes the importance of acting on what he's taught. So basically, here's all the stuff. Now here's how to put it into practice. That's the very definition of practical right there. Jesus taught practically because he knew that our hearts must change for lasting change. So he hands us this practical instruction, and that's the way that God still speaks today. So no matter what age or area of this place, we always want the teaching, no matter who's giving it, to be practical. It has to have handles. You have to be able to carry it away with you, right? You can't just say, oh, that's really, really cool. We, we always need to answer the question, what do I do with this? So that's the first one. And we've done that in the past, but there's an emphasis on that for sure. Um, and then private disciplines in this is the second one. And we spent actually the whole summer talking about spiritual disciplines. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about them specifically. If you want more information, that's all online. You can listen to every podcast. There are notes there for all those too. But we're talking about things like prayer and reading the word and uh, fasting. And, I mean, you can go down the list. Uh, meditation uh, would be one of those too. Silence, all of those. And here's what we know. 
and I say we, I mean like just worldwide, scientifically, here's what we know. There's a direct correlation between a person's private devotional life and his or her personal faith. There's a direct correlation between a person's private devotional life and his or her personal faith. And here's the deal. It's true for everybody, no matter how long you've been a believer. So even if you're further down the road, the spiritual disciplines of your life are going to be evidence of how you're doing in that journey. Because when God speaks to us personally through his word or answered prayer, it strengthens our faith, right? When God answers a prayer, does that strengthen your faith? Yes. When God uses another person to speak into your life as a result of something you prayed for, does that strengthen your faith? Right, absolutely. And those are steps. Those are steps forward on this road. And so again, Jesus is the prime example of how to live our life guided by these disciplines because we see him over and over getting away from everybody, right? He wasn't just exhausted with everybody. (laughs) Oh, man, Peter, you're driving me crazy. I need some solitude, right? I mean, that might have been part of it. He may have been praying for Peter because Peter was driving him a little crazy in the time. But we know that solitude, getting away to speak with the Father, was hugely important to Jesus. And so, again, we talked about it last summer. And the way that we talked about it then was, this isn't a list of have-tos. I have to read my Bible. I've got to get through that 365 in a year, man. And I'm like eight days behind. And I'm in Exodus. Oh, man, right? It's not a have-to. This is, these, this is a catalog of connection points with God. Uh, in our study, again, on Wednesday night, small advertisement. Community groups are the bomb. If you're not here, you're missing out. We're going through uh, this series, and one of the things that was said, it was a guy that actually counsels with senators. And one of the things he says, like, you know what? If I have a conversation in the morning with the king of the universe, I'm not intimidated to have a conversation with a congressman at lunchtime. Man, if you start your day speaking to the king of the universe, not my will, but your will, Lord, you can imagine how that would impact your day. So I think there's something there. We know, guys, that deeper relationships come from time well spent with another. And the same is true with God. If you want to go deep, like if you want deep roots, if you want to be that person that like is led by the Spirit at the grocery store to do stuff that you hear stories about, those connections have to go deep. You have to know Him to hear Him. Of course, Jesus... His example is prayer, study of the word, and not only studying the word, but making it a part of you. I mean, that was like Jesus' kung fu, remember? When he's out in the desert and he's battling the enemy, he just starts whipping out scripture. And even when the enemy tries to do the same things, like, "Uh, actually, that's not what it says. How do you know? Well, you know because you've spent time in the word. So uh, if that's going to be the norm for us, rather than the exception we have to weave that into the fabric of everything we do. And so that's why we talk about a lot of Scripture. Sometimes people come like, man, you talk about it, like you show a lot of Scripture here. Well, there's a point to that. It's because we kind of think it's important. So again, that's a focus. We want to do that in every area. The third one is providential relationships. And when people tell their stories, like the story that I told you when we began, there's always a person, it seems like. Like think about the disciples. Wasn't it Andrew? Wasn't he the one that brought the other dudes and such and such went and got his brother and brought him to Jesus? It seems like as a part of our story of discipleship, there's always a person, an individual that they believe that God placed in their path 
for that very purpose. We call them providential because people are convinced that God brought them into their lives. Well, you know, and then I met this guy at the supermarket, and I don't know how we got on the subject, but all of a sudden we started talking about... Sound familiar? Well, I was invited to this thing where there were all these women, and there was this one lady that came in, and she was kind of crazy. But some of the stuff she said was really, really cool. Usually there are two key factors involved in this. We have the opportunity to hear God through someone, or we can see God in someone. When we put people around each other, that's what we're doing. We want you to hear God through someone or to see God in someone's life. And here's the thing. You can't program this. I can't make you hear something from another person through God. I mean, I could try to orchestrate that, but it would not go well. Right? We can't program that stuff. But we can provide opportunities. We can get people together. And so that's why we're always having stuff, (laughs) basically. We want to put people in proximity so God can do what only he can do. And we see that. We've seen it over the past few weeks as Jesus starts drafting his disciples. He surrounds himself with a number of men, and then he proceeds to pour into their lives. But it all began with introductions and time spent together. And then, finally, is an invitation to follow me. So what's our best shot at creating context for these relationships? We have to allow space and time for people, uh, inviting people to things, to lunch or an event. And that's not just us as leaders. That's all of us, right? This is a community. People next to you, people that you see is like, man, I don't know that guy. I want to get to know him. Hey, do you want to go to lunch so... You know, we can get to know each other. Hey, do you want to come over? Our family's doing this thing where uh, we play yard games. and It's just invitations. It's bringing people into the circle, so to speak, expanding our personal circles. And then uh, also here at church, this is the one that we're working on, is not being so quick to rush on to the next thing. Right? It's about people, not programming. That's why we're providing opportunities. I mean, we want... Connections with God, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we exist. So why would we rush? What can we do? Here's what we can do. We can intentionally create environments that hopefully are conducive or support these types of relationships. Because, guys, remember, the key to the kingdom is relationships. Our mission, once again, love God, love one another together. Everything about that is Relationships. Relationship with God and relationship with other people and relationship with God and other people at the same time. That's why we have the together on there. All of it. It's all this big circle, this big huggy, lovey, touchy-feely circle. Now you know you're in the right church. And so if you've been on this journey with Desperation Church and you see this here, you're like, that sounds different than I remember it. And so you might be familiar with, uh, in the past, we would say love God and love others. And there's a part of that, and I don't believe it was intentional, but every time we got to love others, it always had this feeling of us and them. Love others, right? Now, we may all be the others, and I'm cool with that. But loving others seemed to have this division. And so, to me, when we say love God, love one another together, it's a small change in our mission, but it's a big distinction. It's important. We reach out and the invitation is for all to come into the kingdom. And we want to bring people into communion with God and community with us. Communion with God and community with us. That's our purpose. And so 
We've always been a place, and we always will be a place where you come as you are. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter whether you know a lot about Jesus or you know nothing about Jesus. We don't care. We just want you to come in, and we want to love you. It's going to be a place where you'll hear the truth, and you'll practice living it in community with others who love you no matter what. And that's where you guys come in. Because the leadership, so to speak, you know, we're limited. We can't know everybody in that type of way. But if this is truly a community, the community is supposed to be, everybody can know somebody in that way. And everybody can love somebody no matter what in that way. And then we'll let God sort out the rest in our hearts. How about that? Does that sound good? He knows it all anyway, so let's just let him do what he does. And we'll do what we can do, which is love other people. So again, practically, what does this look like? It all comes back to love. And I shared a picture of what that love looks like earlier. But in Paul's writings, he actually gives us some practical stuff too. And so here it is distilled down for you and for me. This is the one another list. Forgive one another. Accept one another. Care for one another. Encourage one another. Submit to one another. Restore one another. Bless you. Bear with one another. And carry one another's burdens. This is how we love people, both inside and outside the walls of this place. And here's the deal. This is everybody. This is everybody from the tippy top of the org chart to the brand new person to the person that hasn't even darkened our door yet, right? That includes submit to one another, restore one another. These are important. These are ways that we can love other people. And uh, this is what we're going to strive to do. And then the fourth one is pivotal circumstances. When people tell their faith stories, there's always a moment where like, and then I went through this really hard thing. Or my dad passed away. Or my wife left me. Or like different things, right? People will go through these things. They always include events that are described as defining moments. And sometimes they're good. Like sometimes they're really fantastic, positive experiences. Like going on a camp out. Or being invited to someone's home. But sometimes, and I would say just as often, maybe even more often, they involve pain or disappointment. And either way, in that moment, that moment has the potential to change the balance in the life of that person. That moment has the potential to impact faith for good or for bad. So the key issue isn't so much what the circumstance is as much as it is how the circumstance is interpreted in that moment. Uh, there's a story about Steve Jobs. He, uh, one time, I think it was a Lutheran church that he visited as a kid, or he went to as a kid, and he would see uh, them talking you know, about different things in life, and then he would go home and he would see all of these depictions of poor and starving children all over the world. And then he would go back to church, and he would hear things, but none of those things spoke to or addressed what he was seeing on TV. And so here he has this crisis where he sees pain, suffering, he sees these things, and he doesn't see the church addressing that, the church that he was part of. And so it was a defining moment in his life where he decided that church isn't for me if it's not going to deal with this thing. We have personal stories as well. I have a personal story for you guys. Uh, Most of you probably don't know, but over there in our children's area, We have this gentleman painted on the wall, and you might think that that's Jeremy Wallace's depiction of Noah because it's for Noah's pets. 
and perhaps it is, but it's actually based on a man that was an integral part of the Desperation Church community for a long time. His name was Dan Bennett. He was a giant teddy bear of a man, and he was a total nerd. He loved the Lord of the Rings. He loved the Dallas Cowboys, and we forgave him for that. Um, But he was just a beautiful guy. He would do anything for anyone. Uh, Often, there were nights that I would sit in the cab of his truck as we would be talking in front of my house, and three hours later, the porch light comes on, and my wife is looking outside like, are you here? Like, what's going on? Dan was a wonderful man, and Dan passed away suddenly right after Christmas uh, several years ago. And it was a defining moment in this community because less has happened within church communities and has totally torn them apart. He was on staff at the time. Uh, He did a lot here. He was involved in a lot of things, and it was hard. But here's the thing. What happened We only had this little slice of the building all the way over there. We had this service for Dan. And that service, that pivotal circumstance, galvanized this community into the next step that God had for it. Basically taking something that was tragic and terrible and hard and a loss. And as a result, people were activated into ministry. People stepped up to volunteer for things. The community came together to love each other in a way that we'd never loved each other before. And it was all because of a circumstance that on the outside you would look at it, and it was. It was, it was a hard thing for us to go through. So the question is, how do we interpret events like this? Like, why does this happen? There are two things. Our worldview, like how we see the world and what shapes that, is the first thing that interprets how we respond to an event. And the second thing is who we're doing life with at the time. So if you're surrounding yourself by a bunch of people, for example, and you're having relationship problems with your husband or your wife, and you happen to be hanging out with tons of people that are divorced, well, guess what? The likelihood is that they're going to influence you to perhaps see your marriage in a different way versus maybe being around people that have a godly worldview and are saying, listen, God can heal and fix anything. And even testimonies of how that's happened. So our worldview and who we're doing life with at the time are the things that cause us to go from one way or to the other way when we come into this crisis or encounter. So when personal trials come, a community of people is important. I don't know how people do it, guys, when they're not surrounded by others. I don't know. If I hadn't been surrounded by a community of people when Dan passed away, I don't know what that would have looked like. It helps us work through the problems. We know that we're not alone in that moment. We know that others have been there or are there, which is just as important, I think. We also know that God is still good and he's still in charge. And then our faith is rock solid no matter what trial or tribulation comes. Community surrounds us with people that we can lean on in those times. It's very important. So pivotal circumstances. And then the last one is personal ministry. Few things stretch us and grow our faith like personal ministry. When you get thrown into the fire of personal ministry, your faith will grow. Or you will explode. (laughs) No, but it's true, right? When people describe their faith journeys, they always talk about the first time that they engaged in some type of personal ministry. It's like... uh, God always seems to call us into service, especially when we feel inadequate or we are unqualified. And hello, (laughs) right? Right, yeah. 
I mean, Moses is a great example of this. It's like, oh, God, couldn't you pick somebody else? I'm not good. I, I, like, uh, I'm kind of jacked up. I really have been pretty cool out here in the desert all by myself. I'm not really good with words. My brother's actually a lot better with words. You should choose him. And God's like, no, you're, you're the one. We love to hear that, don't we? Here's the thing, guys. Ministry forces us to depend on God. It forces us. It's like, okay, I'm in this situation where I have people asking me questions or people that need help. I have nothing. I got nothing to help them. God, you've got to come through. You have to come through because I can't do this. And then all of a sudden, he does. And guess what? Two people's faith or more are strengthened. Think about those first ministry experiences of the disciples. We talked about... uh, Jesus calling them, and we haven't gotten to this one yet, but when they feed the 5,000, you guys remember that story with the fish, with the little lunchbox, with the fish and the pita or whatever was in there? Pita bread. But what did Jesus say to them first? You feed them. Remember that? How would you like to hear that? It's like, oh, well, we came up with some fish. It's like, okay, we'll go ahead and feed them with that. Oh, what? How am I supposed to do that? But continue with the story. Imagine how much their faith was stretched when they do feed them because they're the ones that feed them, remember? Jesus is just the catalyst for the miracle, but they're the ones that actually feed everybody. They're the guys that get to be cool with everyone. Hey, you want more fish? I got a lot, man. How about some more? Would you like some more fish? Please, sir, I have some more. Yes, you can. They actually go and they do what he commanded them to do because he made a way for them to do it. Doesn't that blow your mind? Have you ever thought about it that way? The same thing is true for us. A missions trip to Myanmar. Hello? Praying for someone who's going through something hard and then watching God come through. Sharing your talent as a part of the worship team. Being like a section leader for VBS. Standing at the door and making someone feel loved and welcome. The unknown of stepping out to serve others. Man, it can be scary. It is scary. I admit it. It's scary. But it also puts us in this place where we can see God doing what he does. It's like you get to peek behind the curtain a little bit. There's so many things that happen that even if I tried to write a book about all the ways that God orchestrated events and made things come together... I could never do it justice. You would never know. So for years here at DC, way before me, from actually from the very beginning with Gene Lutzinger, the guy that founded this church, one phrase that we've used is every member ministry. And it's a little catchphrase, but it basically describes our goal of giving every person a shot at being involved in ministry because we think it's important, not because we need all the help. I mean, we do need the help, but that's not the goal. The goal is we know that that's a faith step, man. If you get involved in ministry, your faith is going to take a step. But here's the deal. We've said that for years, but without like a clear-cut way or a clear-cut vision for how, it's created tension. It's like, well, I want to get involved, but I really don't know what that looks like, and so hopefully this will help a little bit today. We are committed to involving as many people as possible, as young as possible, as soon as possible in ministry. How cool would it be to see our students 
greeting people their own age at the door when they come into this community, right? How cool would it be to see people of all shapes, sizes, walks of life up here praying with people or walking up beside someone and saying, listen, I, I see you here by yourself. Can I sit with you? Can I pray with you? That's just the tip of the iceberg, the things I can think of off the top of my head. So we are committed. This is something we want. I'm saying as the pastor, this is what I want to see. I would love to see this. I think this could change the world. As many people as possible, as young as possible, as soon as possible. And here's where it gets weird. Including non-members and even unbelievers. What? Did you? Wait. Did he just say that? Lean over. Ask your friend. Did he just say that? He did. He just said that. Listen. That makes me really uncomfortable, Pastor Bill. You know, uh, for years and years I went to this church. There was a lady that greeted people and she smoked. And man... So, and your point? That could get messy, Pastor Bill. Yes, it could. Read the book of Acts sometime. You think they were worried about that? Peter's busting out the word, and people are like, I don't even know what this is or where we're going, but you know what? This sounds fun. Like, they're just getting yanked along the way, and it's on. And they're figuring it out along the way. That is my ministry in a nutshell. That is me being pastor every day, figuring it out along the way. Sorry if I ruined the illusion for you. (laughs) Things were messy in the book of Acts. Things were uncomfortable. But there was no question that God was changing lives through all of it. Don't you want to be a part of that? Not sitting there, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, right? I don't have anything against that song, but let's mean it if we're going to sing it. Let's live it if we're going to sing it. The truth is, guys, and I don't care who you run into, it can be the gruffest, roughest, most tattooed biker out in the world. It can be the smallest child. I promise you, everyone wants to belong somewhere. Why not here? Why not here? Is this not weird enough for you? Seriously. We're we're special, and I'm not saying that in any way, shape, or form to say that we're amazing. I'm saying that this place God has made for a specific purpose. You're here. Right? You're here. You bring things to the table. You bring things to that team. I'm here. Other leaders are here to make this exactly what God wants it to be. And listen, he's only just starting, guys. This is just the beginning of what he's doing. And so this is the key. This is where we're heading. These, these are the things that we're going to think about anytime we're doing something. How can we make sure as many of these things are happening as possible when we do event X or when we do this thing or with VBS or with a weekend service or with whatever it is that we do that we say this is a DC thing. We want as many of these things as possible to happen. That's why we've changed our community group night to have a lot more time for people just to hang out. Because we need each other. We need time together. And I'm telling you, there's probably more God happening in some of those conversations than maybe in some of the classes sometimes. That's how he works, and that's okay. So while these five elements may be the things that activate or grow our faith, here's the deal. The choice 
to do these things, to participate in these things, to allow these things to shape and change us. The choice is ours. The choice is yours, and the choice is mine. We can hear practical teaching all the time, but it does us no good if we don't apply it to our lives. If we don't try to take it with us, if we don't look at it again. So what does God have you wrestling with right now? What is God asking you to internalize right now? What scripture does he keep putting up on the billboard saying, you need to get this in your head? And what has God been talking to you about that he's calling you to act on? Prayer, exploring the gift of God's revelation through his word. Times away in solitude. Meditation and all of the other disciplines, guys, are available to each of us. But no one can do them for us. Listen. I believe that we've had generations coasting on the prayers of previous generations. And it's time for us to step up because we have generations following us. Are you reaching out to others through the relationships in your life? Are you the kind of friend that you want others to be for you? Whoa. And as a friend, do you look to be the hands and the feet of Jesus when others are going through something hard or difficult? Or celebrating with them when something's amazing? That's important too. We're going to celebrate a lot more around here. Do you offer hope and stability in the midst of challenging circumstances for the people that God's placed in your life? And then lastly, are you looking for ways to serve the kingdom? Not only in this community, but in the community that God calls you to every day. Whether it's your work community or your home community. Whatever you do. Are you looking to walk into that situation and bless others? What has God placed inside of you that he longs to use to bless others? Because there's something. At least one something. Probably more than one. Because Jesus looks at each one of us today. And he says, follow me. Follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. Follow me. I'm not telling you where I'm going. Follow me. Are you in? Follow me, he says. But the responsibility to answer the call of discipleship still rests on each of us. This call that he gives us. So will we follow him wherever he leads? It starts with a step, guys. Just a step. So I just want to pause for just a second. If you guys would just bow your hearts. And rather than praying here, here's what I want to do. I just want to pause and consider what it is that God may be asking you to do today. And whatever he's asking you, I just want you to make that commitment real in your heart right now. just between you and God in this moment. God, wherever you lead, I'm going to do it. Pray, God, that you just empower us to do whatever it is that you have.
Whatever he's asking you, make that commitment. Amen. All right. I told you I had some news for you. This is exciting news. I don't have a little theme song or anything, but that would be cool. So last year we came to you guys and we said, listen, we need to address the area of student ministries. And we had kind of formulated this giant undoable job description that would cover the whole area and all this stuff. And it just didn't, it just didn't come together. And which is okay. Cause God is awesome. And, and, we always want to be people that when something doesn't happen that we want to happen, that we say, okay, God, it just must not be time for that, or it may not be the way that, that you want to do this thing. And so, um, so that was fine, and we agreed. Everybody nodded their heads when we said this needed to happen, but it just didn't get traction. So that is what it is, and that's okay. Meanwhile, people have stepped up to fill those gaps. And so before we go any further, I want to applaud all of the folks that serve uh, with our kids and with student ministries. So here's the deal. It was evident at our elder retreat after we talked about these things and we started to, we wanted to address basically a handful rather than trying to fix all the problems of the universe, which is what we usually try to do because we're overachievers. What we decided is let's just focus on a couple things, just a couple things that we really think the things that need the most impact in our church. Student ministries came up again and we said, listen, we cannot move forward without with integrity and not address this. We keep saying that the kids are our future. We say we want kids involved in this, and we want our children to be like this. We, we say that, that the future belongs to them. I mean, someday, those kids are going to be the elders and the admin board members and the pastors and the worship leaders. I mean, go on down the list and, and things, you know, and hologram specialists, things that churches don't even have yet, right? They're going to be the ones to do that. And so if we believe that, We have to invest. We're only here because someone invested in us. And so we have to do the same. And so we started having this conversation. We got together with both of the boards. We brought in leaders. We talked all about it. Like, listen, we can't wait for finances to necessarily be there. We just got to do it. We got to do it. We have to step out on faith and pray that God will make this happen. Because, listen, here's the deal. It's not even just about the kids that are here. It's about the kids that need to be here, guys. We need to have a vision beyond these seats. Look at the seats that are around you that are empty. I mean, if everybody came to church that says this is their church on the, on the same weekend, this place would probably be pretty packed. But there are people that need to be in those seats next to you. There are kids that need to be here because of whatever it is God's going to use them to do. And so we said, listen, we've got to do something. And because God's timing is amazing... Super amazing God that we serve. All of a sudden, super qualified people became available, came to our attention. We're like, this can't be, God. How is this? And one of the worries anytime you bring people from outside your community, inside your community to lead it, is that they get the culture. I mean, because the last thing you want is you hire somebody and have them come in. It's like, okay. A lot of the things that happen around here, I'm just going to be honest, are a little weird. You don't want people saying that. I mean, you can say it, but you need to say it like as a positive thing, okay? Our culture is different in this church, and so that was always a concern. So here's the deal. God's awesome. 
he raised people up within our culture, and um, I get the pleasure of introducing you to them now. So we have a new student ministries director and a new children's director. Uh, the student ministries director is going to be a full-time staff member. Yeah. And our children's director is going to be a part-time staff member. And you know what that means. They'll be full-time anyway. I'm just kidding. Anyway. But these two folks, I love them. They have a passion for Jesus and a passion for your kids and a passion for relationship. And so I'd like to introduce you to our new student ministries director, Zach Beeler. Come on up. And our new children's ministry director, Beth Beeler. All right, so for those of you guys that know them, this probably comes to no surprise to you. You're just like, yeah, that just was kind of waiting to happen. Um, But it is a step of faith, and it's going to be one. They're taking a huge step of faith, basically changing their lives and their careers and all that stuff around. Uh, But for them, it's a passion. It's a passion for ministry and a passion for our kids. And we just happen to be the folks that get to benefit from that. So if uh, you have kids that are in kids' ministry or in youth already, you know. You know that we have two quality individuals in front of us. And so uh, today is the day. Like, it, it, it's on. The, the, ne- the next month is, is the beginning. And so we've already kind of been hanging out and doing some stuff, and it's been fun and exciting, but it really meets the road coming this month. And so... We just thought it would be appropriate and wonderful on this day for our community to rally around them and bless them and basically kind of commission them for ministry. And so what I'd like to do is have, if we could, our elders and our uh, leaders, folks that that know these guys, love these guys, come on up. We're going to gather around them. And then we also have, um, this is a community thing. So I'd love for the rest of you community to gather around them. Put your hands on people. We're going to pray over them. (laughs) I just handed the microphone to my wife, and she freaked out. (laughs) So um, before we pray for them, I want to anoint them with this oil. And I believe that this is the same oil that King David used. (laughs) They just collected it right off of him. And so you'll smell a little bit of that. It's great. And I've asked um, Lawrence Young if he would pray over them. And then uh, once we've done that. You guys are dismissed. I love you. I just want to say, um, Pastor Bill um, contacted me earlier this week and asked, he said, hey, Lawrence, would you pray for Zach and Beth? And it was a no-brainer. It was like, yeah. You know, and usually it takes a lot of convincing for me to do something in this place, but that was a no-brainer. And um, I have some scriptures that God gave me, and I want to, Pray that over them. So if you would extend your hands and let's pray for our friends. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day and thank you for um, the Beelers. And God, I just thank you personally for their friendship, um, not only to our family, but to a lot of the people um, who call this place home. And God, I just thank you for um, how inspirational they are uh, to me and to a lot of people, God, that um, I look up to them, well, physically because they're pretty tall people, but um, Lord, just uh, with their walk with you and just their spiritual journey, God, that you have um, just had them on. It's just been pretty amazing and and 
that we've been the, in the front row of seeing all this, and it's been really cool. And um, God, I just pray Jeremiah 3.15 over them. Um, it says, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed your knowledge and understanding. And God, we pray that they would be shepherds um, over our kids and our youth, God, and that you would give them the knowledge and understanding to pass on to them the things that you want them to know and understand. God, I pray 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight over them. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And God, I know that there's going to be times where um, they're just like working and working and working and God, just not seeing any fruit, God, um, but your word promises a harvest in Galatians 6, 9. Um, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And God, I pray that they don't give up. God, I pray that um, they continue on this call that you have placed upon their life, Lord. And Lord, I just uh, I pray that you would abundantly supply, as in Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God, they have given up a lot. They have given up a lot financially. God, they've had to make major adjustments um, in their life, God. Um, but we know that you are Jehovah Jireh, God, and that you will provide everything that they need. And Lord, finally, I just pray Romans fifteen thirteen over them. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for the calling that you've put upon the Beelers. God, thank you for the blessing that they already are to us. Thank you for the blessing that they're going to be to um, everyone who comes in contact with them, for the people who still aren't um, here that need to be here, God, and for the people that you're still calling uh, to be a part of this community, God. Um, we trust you, we love you, and we're thankful, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.